greetings in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> I invite you, first of all, to turn with me to uh, Matthew 18. <clears throat> Matthew in chapter 18. <clears throat> I would like to read the first uh, seven verses, uh, then zeroing in on one particular verse. <clears throat> Matthew 18, the first seven verses. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. <clears throat> the verse I'm zeroing in uh, for a launching point for the message this morning is verse 6. Verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I've titled the message this morning, Living as Examples to the children of our church. I didn't count, but I realized as I was reading just now that the word child or little child is used several times in these few verses that I just read. Of course, I know it's talking about children. I'm just saying how many times the word child is used in, in those verses. But we come to verse 6. And we would all agree, boy, that's extreme. And you realize these are the words of Jesus. Wow, Jesus talked in, in a very extreme way when he uttered verse 6. Now, I'm not going to try to stand here and, and explain to you, you know, um, all I know is what he said. Okay, or, 
you, you can uh, maybe take that for homework. I may give several homework assignments this morning. Things came to me as I was preparing this message. But uh, let's just read verse 6 again. But, what, uh, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, one of these children, I already said he talked about the children several times already in these verses. One of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Yes, I agree. That's extreme words from Jesus. But it's from Jesus. At least we could think just for a moment what the word offend means uh, in this verse. And I just looked in several different versions or translations. Uh, offend, to cause to stumble, to cause to sin, to cause to turn away from the faith. Living as examples to the children of our church. Let's think about that this morning. You uh, realize with me that, by the way, what do I mean by children this morning? I'm not talking about the ones and two years olds necessarily. I'm talking about this in a broad way, anywhere from from those that are learning anything in their subconscious when that, that's, that, that, that's starting very, very early. Anywhere from there, whenever they are learning in their subconscious, all the way up through adolescence and, and early teens at least. That's the ones I'm, I'm really thinking about this morning. What our children of our church are learning from us, living as examples to the children of our church. Um, but, but children, what I was getting ready to say, children, we all would agree, I'm sure, learn most, a lot, and probably most of what they learn in their early years in a subconscious way. It's not that we sit down every day with a three or four year old and tell them, this is how we do this. This is how we live. This is how we do things in our church. Or this is how we do this in our family. No, we just do it. We just do it day in and day out. And they learn, oh, this is just life. And they're not really thinking about that they're being taught by their teacher father or their teacher mother or their teacher older brother or sister. They're just in their subconscious. It's being absorbed into their being. This is how we live. This is life. Now, I want to go next to a couple of Paul's writings on relating to what he referred to as the weaker ones. And I, I challenge you to think about it this way. Paul talks about relating to the weaker ones uh, various times and takes quite a bit of time at, at least one place to, to do that. 
Now, he does not sit down and with his pen make a list of things. This is what I mean by the weaker ones in the brotherhood. And he lists one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He, he doesn't do that. He certainly implies a few things as he writes about the weaker ones. But I, I suspect he did not make a list to indicate exactly who he meant. He probably didn't do that for good reasons. Or the Holy Spirit had him not do that for good reasons. Because then we would say today, well, um, that doesn't apply to this person or it does not apply to me or it does not apply to so and so. And by, by leaving it open-ended, the Holy Spirit can take that scripture and can say, yes, this is talking to you, or this is talking to me, or this is talking to the, about that person or something. And so he just talks about it in a, weak, in a, in a, in a general way and, and uses the term uh, weaker uh, ones or weaker brothers. Sometimes he may use another term or two. But I, I suggest this this morning. <laughs> If you were to make a list of who is implied by the weaker ones or the weaker brothers, I, I believe you would find out that nearly all of these, this whole, this list would, would refer also to children. Certainly children, the little believers, the young ones, the children of our church, you, you would agree, are, are weaker uh, than, than older, mature Christians in a lot of things concerning uh, spiritual or, or the life of the church or spiritual things. They, they would come under this, this weaker ones just for those reasons. Uh, there again, that could be another homework assignment if I didn't already say. You, you could make your own list of who, who, are the, who is the weak, who are the weaker ones. Who, Paul, with as much time as he took to talk about it, he's certainly referring to specific people or things. And so one could make a list and try to make a list of who may be included. And I'm suggesting that nearly all of those things would apply also to children. So with that in mind, let us turn to... Two of these places. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians and chapter 8. I, um, I would just encourage you and suggest that you keep in mind at verse 6 of uh, of uh, Matthew 18 and the, the extreme language that Jesus used there about offending a child offending a little one offending a young one um, what that means causing one to stumble causing one to sin causing one to turn from the faith uh, and the seriousness of it by suggesting that it would be better for that person to be drowned than to cause children to lose their faith or to stumble and fall spiritually. Now, so I just say we, we, it's good to keep that in mind as we look at this today. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8. I will first read the uh, 
first three verses. Now as touching things offered unto idols, ye know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if, in, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. So first of all, before he got to go into detail about relating to, to the weaker ones, he, he's, he's starting it with these verses I just read. You know, it's so easy for us to say, well, that shouldn't matter, or uh, this should not offend the children, or just because I live this way or make this decision to do things this way, uh, what difference is that, should that make? Um, if it offends them, that's their problem. Well, well, their dad ought to talk to them uh, about them to help them get over that. You know, those kind of things Satan would put in our mind. And so Paul began with, now as touching things offered in titles, we know that we all have knowledge. We think we know it. We, we think we know the answer. We think we know what's right. And, and everybody else should, 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 should understand also. What does it say next? Knowledge puffeth up. He's saying, that sounds like a proud person to reason that way. That doesn't sound like a loving, humble person with a loving, humble attitude. In fact, the rest of the verse says, but charity edifieth. If we can get down on the level and humble ourselves and say, yes, I'm sorry, I understand this could have a negative effect on the children of our church. I'm sorry, brother, that I offended your family in this way. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. Now let's drop down to verses 9 to 13, beginning at verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Uh, I already implied by a few of my comments, you know, the, the, the gist of that verse. It's easy for, for Satan to put in our minds that, well, I have this liberty, or we can take liberty in this area, or uh, that shouldn't make any difference. Well, what does Paul say in verse 9? But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. I'm saying this morning to the children. It sounds like that Paul had heard the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 6. Verse 10, For if any man see thee which hast knowledge set at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? 
But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You know, you you go through there and and take time and and make application to, to all those verses. And I don't want to take too much time here because I have other things to look at. Um, but if maybe I would just comment on verse 10. We in our knowledge that say, well, you know, my actions or my attitude or my feelings about this uh, subject, you know, they shouldn't really make any difference. Uh, I should be able to feel my way and, and this family or this brother feel his way and, and, and it shouldn't make any difference. Uh, he should just get over it or something like that. That's not what verse 10 suggests. It suggests it could be a real stumbling block for somebody. And it suggests that uh, as we go on down through the verses there, it, it, it could be a cause of, of, of someone being losing their faith. Um, again, it sounds like Paul knew what Jesus said in Matthew eighteen six, as he wrote these verses. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And if I go over something quickly here that that the Holy Spirit would tap you on the shoulder about and you want to take more time and do some homework and look into it in more detail later, that that would be good, of course. But, uh, uh, you know, we don't have time to go into detail about everything that that we may look at here this morning. Romans chapter 14. This, this, This all is so well said, of course, um, and, and on the subject as I see it, uh, I've already said that I, I see is, you know, this thing of the things that make a, a, a weak brother a weak brother, whatever list we would come up for that, would apply it so nearly directly to children in general. And so that's why I'm looking at this. I would like to begin reading at verse 1 of uh, of Romans 14. In fact, I, I'll just tell you, I want to read the whole chapter in the first few verses, the first seven verses of chapter 15. So just follow me, uh, follow as I, as I read uh, and think about this thing of living as examples to the children of our church, uh, living as examples, living in such a way that we don't offend the younger ones and the weaker ones among us. Romans chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. By the way, I won't stop and I can't stop and comment on every verse, but I will on this one as we begin here. That means you shouldn't be up to arguing right away 
to arguing right away, to trying to defend yourself of why you do this and why this shouldn't offend somebody or why the brother shouldn't be weak, but he should get over it and be strong once. And that kind of arguing, it said, don't, don't argue like that. That's what the end of verse 1 means, but not to doubtful disputations. Verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not, let him that eateth despise, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I might just stop and say this. You see, he's using some things he says here simply as examples and they, implying that it could be implied in other areas of life. So he's talked about eating meat offered to idols in one place. He's talking about eating meat as compared to being a vegetarian. He's talking about uh, observing various days. So that's three different examples he has given in these passages. We could give other examples. Verse 5, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Now see, there's a general statement uh, suggesting that this certainly applies to other areas of life also. He's making a general blanket statement there. We, we, we do relate to our brothers and sisters. We do have a relationship to them. We do have a responsibility to the weaker ones among us. Verse 8, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us sh shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge us rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. 
let not then your good be evil spoken of. You want a little short verse to put on your refrigerator for a few days? Maybe that could be one. Let verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. And you could think about that this way. You know, well, there's nothing wrong with this. In itself, this is good. In itself, there's, this is not bad. That's the first part of the verse. But, but, in certain situations, with certain people, with certain families, with the young ones, with the weaker ones, it may be a stumbling block. It may be evil, spoken of evil, in an evil way. They may see it as wrong. And, and therefore, we are putting a stumbling block or occasion to fall in that young ones, in that weak ones, in our brother's way. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these Things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. Here's another one for the refrigerator. <laughs> Verse 8, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify or build up another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor any thing whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. I have to comment here. Again, I made a list of three things earlier that, that he's re referred specifically to, and I said he's simply using those as examples, I believe, and now he's adding another specific thing to that list of three. So now we have four things, and that is drinking wine. And then he said, or anything. Now, uh, you may say, well, um, in my Bible, that's in italics. That means it was added by the translators here. I saw that also. So I went to other versions and translations, and I looked at several, and every one of them have it in there. So apparently, it is in the Greek. Uh, I'm, suggest I'm guessing that it was said in such a way or there was such phraseology that, that we don't use in English, and so the translators didn't know how to say it verbatim or directly, and so therefore they did put it in italics because it's not directly from the, from the Greek. Uh, and so in keeping with translating procedures, they did it that way. However, it certainly apparently is implied in the original because all the other versions and translations had it. Or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Wow, that's, that's, that's one to chew over for a while, is it not? Verse 21. 
Verse 22. I said that wrong. Why, why should we need to chew over it? There it is. It's pretty plain. Okay? Uh, we should just take it in and, and digest it quickly and, and say, yes, Lord, that's how I want to be. I want to live like that. I don't want to. I want to be a good example to the weak. I want to be a living example to the children of our church. Verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Wow, there's another sober statement, the last part of that verse. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. Verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. I, I didn't read that one with a, a good enough emphasis, I don't think. Let me read that one again. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. I want to um, turn to one other scripture. It's actually in two places, and I might quickly look at both of them. Um, as uh, examples of how we may, as older ones, uh, offend younger ones, this is to specific people. But after that, then I'll just make a few suggestions on how we can live, how we should live, in order that uh, we are living examples to the children of our church. But first of all, to these two scriptures, uh, Ephesians 4 and, no, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 <coughs> And verse 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 and verse 4. <clears throat> Fathers, as you see, this is said for you and I. Men, fathers. Did you realize that the only, I think I, I'm saying this right being specific in this, the only two times in the New Testament 
that there is very direct admonition to fathers concerning their children. It says, it asks, tells the fathers not to make our children angry. It's both from the Apostle Paul, one here in Ephesians, one in Colossians. Um, God knew and had his Holy Spirit to work through the, the pen of, of the Apostle Paul to write this. God knew some of the problems that we as earthly fathers have. And so he had Paul to write this two times. Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. May I say again, it sounded like that Paul knew what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6. Don't offend a little one. It's serious to offend a child. It's serious business to, call them to cause them to stumble and sin and fall. And here it says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And so maybe we fathers, some of us would, would write up and say, well, why did he say that? Well, of course I don't want to provoke my children to wrath. I want to be a loving and kind father. Why does he need to tell me that? And yet that's, that's what it says. How might we, might we as fathers provoke our, our children to wrath? And again, I, I'm not going to make a, a list this morning, but you might make one in, in your own mind. Um, I would just say it in a general way, and that is this, by living hypocritically. By saying and acting one way, but really being and doing another way. And that is a good way to provoke our children to wrath. To cause, to offend our children, to cause them to stumble. Jesus spoke very extremely about that in Matthew 18.6. <laughs> the other place is Colossians 3.21. Colossians 3.21. <clears throat> Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I won't say any more about that, but just pointing out that there it is again. <clears throat> Let me just suggest to you several things uh, that we should, how we should live. 
how we should live as examples to the children of our church. Or we can live as examples to the children of our church by these things. And of course, my list here is just a few things I jotted down. You could add to it, of course. Number one, having a real love for God and his word and salvation through Jesus. I, I mean, having it, have a real love. And if we do, our children and the younger children, the children of our church will, will, will know that. And we'll see that if it's real in us. A real love for God, his word, and salvation through Jesus. Number two, having a real love for our brothers and sisters in the church. If we don't, we'll likely be putting a stumbling block before the children of our church. So we need to have a real love for the brothers and sisters of our church. And, and again, we all understand that, that children are usually have more up here going on than we, than we want to admit sometimes. And they can see right through us too many times. And that's probably not said the right way. They can see right through us often. They, 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 we can try to put on a good front uh, but, but they know what's going on in our mind and in our hearts, usually. Uh, they know if our love is real and genuine or not, is what I'm trying to say. Number three. How can we be living examples to the children of our church by having a real appreciation for our written brotherhood agreement? And what I mean by that is, is more the attitude. Uh, the next one relates to it. But in this one, uh, the, our attitude toward the things that we have agreed on as a brotherhood. Um, if you have children, if you have a home and have children, probably you have some, some expectations. Some, some rules and regulations in your house. If your children see you as one that don't have appreciation for the, the church rules and regulations, why do you expect them to have an appreciation for your family and home rules and regulations? It won't work that way. If you're a school teacher, for instance, and you have rules and regulations and expectations in your school, but your students see you as not appreciating, the, appreciating the, the, the church that you're a part of, how, how easy will that be for them to obey you in school, you see? And, and you could go down the line and say, you know, and on the job and, and in the community group, and you could make a lot of uh, applications and examples of that. So a real appreciation, your attitude about the Brotherhood Agreement. Number four, I said the next one relates directly to it, and it does. Number four, <clears throat> simply not only uh, saying that you appreciate what we stand for, but uh, living in obedience to it. You know, you know, saying it with your mouth is one thing. Uh, putting it in shoe leather is another thing. So we can, we can live as examples to the children of our church by living in obedience to 
our brotherhood agreement and our statement of faith. Number five, living in humble submission to authorities in general. All of us have authorities. I mean, you know, from you could start and make it quite a long list from the time a, 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 a newborn, a, a, a child in the home, of course, you know, has authorities in his parents and, and, and the school has authorities and the church has authorities and the local government has authorities and the state government has authorities and the federal government has authorities and law enforcement authorities and so forth and so on. I'm saying, number five, have a humble submission to authorities. That is a way to live an example to the children of our church. Number six, having a respect for families and or individuals that choose applications above our minimum standards. You know, when in any organization, actually, the fact is, when things are written down, that's what we call the minimum standards. Now, there's people, there's families, there's fathers, mothers, there's homes, uh, there's individuals that choose to, to live above that. Uh, that's, that's okay. And, and if that's the case, then we as older ones need to have a healthy respect for that and not make light of that, not belittle that in the eyes of the children of our church. Because if we do, we're putting a stumbling block in front of them. We're making them have a strange attitude toward people that think different than we do. Respect for families or individuals that choose applications above the minimum standards. Number seven, and I'll stop with this one. <clears throat> we need to have wisdom and maturity to make scriptural applications in areas or situations that our statement of faith does not speak to. I mean, you know, our, our book is, is rather little. You realize that some groups speak to a lot more specifics than we do. Uh, I, I hope we don't have to make our book fatter. But, you know, sometimes when, when people just, just don't, don't think about what's happening or, or it's like they, they don't care or they hadn't thought through this or, uh, you know, they didn't let the Holy Spirit work in their heart, they just start going down a road. Well, well you know, the book doesn't say this or uh, was, is that a rule in our church or, well, that's not written down so I, it shouldn't make any difference, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let me read this one again, this last one. Having wisdom and maturity to make scriptural applications in areas or situations that our written brotherhood agreement does not speak to. We, we can't speak to other, every little situation in life. We don't want to speak to every, we don't want to write down every little situation in life. That's where you and the Holy Spirit come in and, and your appreciation and respect for, for the brotherhood and where we stand, what we stand for in a general way. Um, so, you know, if, if we can have that kind of wisdom and uh, maturity and making applications, uh, 
when applications need to be made. That can speak and that can help our children. Uh, you know, our children can say, there's a man, there's a woman that's looking at life, that's thinking seriously about life. And when a situation comes up, they're applying the principles of the scripture to that situation and making their decisions accordingly. I think I'll close by turning to the passage that all of you know is the feet washing passage. And so you can turn to John 13. You know, I saw something in there, and I think I, I've said this um, before when, when we, uh, when either I had the feet, foot, feet washing meditation or another brother did, and I just appreciated something they brought out that I hadn't thought about before, you know. Um, and uh, I told you one time that when Brother John Risser was, was bishop here, and, and um, of course he didn't get here very often, so naturally oftentimes he would bring the communion message since he, we hadn't heard him preach for very much. Well, that left then the feet washing meditation with me, time after time after time after time. And so I, I've looked at, at John 13 from a lot of different angles, you know, to try to get something fresh and new out of it. And, and, and I'm amazed. Uh, sometimes Joshua or Dan would, would speak from this and bring up something that I hadn't seen before. Well, that, that's the word of God. That's the beauty of the word of God. Well, I saw something here. Uh, that, that I really hadn't thought of before. Uh, it's simply verses 15 and 16. John 13, 15 and 16. <clears throat> As you realize, these are the words of Jesus. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. What is he saying in verse 16? He's saying there's authority. And he gives two examples here in verse 16. There's authority. There's those that are in authority and those that are under them. Or you could say it the other way around, of course. There are those that are servants that do certain things, and there's somebody in authority over them. And he, in this situation, and in, in earthly things, and sometimes in, in wicked kings, you know, they would, they would sometimes say this and oftentimes live like this, you do as I do. No, no, I'm sorry. You do as I say, not as I do. And they would live their wicked lives. But, you know, uh, if some of the people would do what they do, they would be cast in prison or something. So, so they would live or say or imply, you do as I say, not as I do. Our authority, Jesus Christ, doesn't operate that way. He said, I am your Lord. I'm your master. And, and you're the servants. But yet I've done this to you. This is my example unto you. This is my example. 
And I'm giving you the pure, perfect example as your authority. Most of us here, because of our age and maturity, are like authority figures in the eyes of the children of our church. Just because we're older and we've been around longer and had more experiences, we can speak with authority in so many areas of life as compared to the adolescent and children of this congregation. They likely will be listening, either with their ears or with their subconscious. Let's live as examples to the children of our church. Let's have a closing song.